Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Are you curious about crypto? Are you curious about the difference between proof of work and proof of stake? Well, in this podcast, we're going to be talking to an expert named Andrew Kegel. He is the co-founder and CEO of Tokens.com, a publicly listed company that invests in metaverse real estate, DeFi, NFT-related digital assets. Andrew is also the co-founder and is the former CEO of Hut8 Mining, one of the largest publicly listed Bitcoin miners in the world. Prior to that, Andrew spent about 20 years as an investment banker with a focus on technology and real estate. Andrew is an accomplished executive with leadership experience in the capital markets, corporate governance, and entrepreneurship. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome Andrew. Thanks, Dylan. When I hear my biography being read out, it makes me feel very old. Two decades of banking, this company, that. Anyways. It just flies by, man. You don't realize that. Right. We don't realize that. It's like, when did I get old? You know, when did that happen? You know, I, right. I feel very much the same thing. But, you know, learning and growing along the way, I don't know. I think it's always like a, a state of mind. But you're looking young. You're looking good. Again, you, like I said before, you look very, like, healthy and tan and in shape. So. Thanks. You know. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited, man. I'm excited to talk about this and and the neck of the words in terms of, you know, there's been a big, uh, you know, I feel like people that are inside the crypto space or inside the metaverse space, or these other spaces for a long time, there's kind of been kind of, it's, an, it's a small community that just kind of got blown up very recently to become going more mainstream. Um, how has it been for you on your journey uh, into the whole crypto space uh, then versus now? Yeah, very different. I I would say we've received a ton of like really great media attention lately that I never thought I would get. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's an article coming out in, in Vogue on our company next week. We've been featured on CNN, CNBC, The Economist, USA Today. So I never thought that it would go this mainstream, that people would be this interested in what we were doing. I got into the business in 2017. And at the time, people were really skeptical about Bitcoin, which was the main thing anybody in crypto was talking about. Even when I first heard about Bitcoin, the connotation, cryptocurrency, some you know funny internet money, it didn't resonate with me at all until I started talking to other people who were really smart, had done the work, which forced me to go and do the work and you know make me do a complete pivot from being a, you know, a suit and tie guy every day, going you know, into the financial core of my city to a guy that now, you know, wears a t-shirt when I can and, and, you know, enjoys different activities. So, yeah, that's the, uh, um, Silicon Valley startup life kind of style, more casual. It's an interesting, that you know, industry thing I know before, um, going to some of these events, you can tell some of the new people when they show up with like a suit, when right. everyone's wearing t-shirt and jeans, you know, back when we had conferences, you're like, Ooh, you messed up. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice try, but just slipped on that one. Uh, for the the moments you said you had a moment where you smart friends talking to friends, you had a realization. You know what was that? What was the realization for you? Like, was there was there like a specific moment that came to it, or what? It, what was the thing that made you expand what was possible? Yeah, I've always been a person that dislikes authority, and you, my parents will tell you that, but. What I really liked about Bitcoin when I first started looking at it is that there's an element of counterculture to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it was created in 2018 and started trading in 2019 was right after the Great Recession. And if you recall all the things going on, then it was like, hold on, the government, financial institutions just served up a whole bunch of paper to the world that really didn't have a ton of value. The investment bankers just made a ton of money. A whole bunch of people got hosed. The country's in a recession and nobody went to jail. Instead, the government went and created a, a bailout package, which went to all these investment banks and these, these, these poor investment bankers ended up getting, you know, multi-million dollar bonuses the following year. And so it was really out of that, that someone who nobody really knows who invented Bitcoin still, it's an unknown entity. Yeah. But it was out of this sort of rebellion, this counterculture, libertarian movement that somebody was like, we can do better than that. We can come up with a system that is better than what's provided to us by the government if we can figure out how to securely wire money digitally from one person, from me to you. 
And that is what Bitcoin really was and what made it sort of such a pivotal, pivotal technology is that it was the first time that you could have digital value attached to something that only exists on the internet. That's pretty cool. In retrospect, that first Bitcoin trade back in 29, or sorry, 2009 mm-hmm. was a pivotal moment in technology. Like the first time digital identity was created that has now spawned a multi-trillion dollar business, all the cryptocurrencies, the metaverses, the play to earn, and all the, the rest of the amazing things that are happening on in crypto uh, you know, platforms. It's really interesting to see that, that people get so mad and frustrated with the way things are and you feel off, often you feel powerless and there's different areas. We can talk about votings and the other, other areas where we feel like there's nothing to do, but it feels like we figure out a way to kind of hack the system or game the system and get around the power plays, which is an interesting thing is it feels like, cause it was originally designed to kind of be independent authority, wild, wild west. And I feel like the governments are now kind of shifting to trying to like, trying to kind of integrate it into their own systems and kind of rebring that power back into it. How, what have you seen um, in, in the political government sectors with them bringing in and trying to make it more of a government standardized um, coin operation? Right. So the first thing, mainstream financial institutions are embracing all of this. Mm-hmm. JP Morgan publishers reports on this, Citibank, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, it's now part of the fabric of, of Wall Street to, to know and support crypto. Governments are still sort of scratching their heads. Um, certainly, you know, in the US, the fear of overregulation is always there. Uh, in other countries like China, Russia, they're always talking, you know, we're shutting this down, we're closing that. There's a lot of fear of regulation here and that the government is going to come in, overregulate. My perspective on that is that there's a lot of unintended consequences that can happen as a result of overregulation, mm-hmm. which is that people will find a way. There's so much FOMO in the space. People are going to find a way to get into these investments regardless. And so they're either going to do it through the good players, the guys who are organized and are, are, are trying to follow the rules. And if those guys get scared and say, great, we're going to go to another country, another region, we're going to figure out, you know, and don't provide access to the people that want it, they're gonna find other ways to get it that are maybe more nefarious and you know they'll end up losing their capital. Mm. It's the same thing with any other illicit subjects or anything that are more things. If there's a demand for it, people are gonna find a way. And if we can find right. a way to make it safe and legal, then that's it. But sometimes that the, the dangers comes when you blackball or black market something, then you now you gotta go into the nefarious areas right. where CD people are and go through that. That's exactly right, Dylan. Right. So, you, you know, like you're reading about all this, you're trying to mm-hmm. figure out ways to get involved. Mm-hmm. The government stops you from doing it. You're going to find another way. Yeah. So t- talk to me a little bit. So you went from uh, investment banker to uh, uh, one of the large, largest uh, crypto Bitcoin mining things into now tokens. Could you talk to me a bit about that journey and what brought you the tokens? Yeah. So I actually really liked being an investment banker. I I did it for a long time and I carved my teeth out in the real estate space. I raised billions of dollars from various companies. And really in that job, what I was doing is finding companies that institutions and retail investors wanted to buy into. So pretty basic. That's the area of the world I understood. When I started getting into crypto back in 2016, 2017, and I started financing some of the companies in that sector, I realized that there was a gap and the gap was that there was no way for a public company investor to get exposure to Bitcoin. And I realized that what a pain it was, because I used to ask people like, you know, have you ever tried to buy Bitcoin? And people were like, well, I tried. I didn't like it. I got intimidated. Wasn't easy enough. When I bought my first Bitcoin, I had to wire money to Gibraltar. I was using a company I had never heard of. There's a real leap of faith that happens in, in that first baby step into this world. But people, a big contingent of people like things that they can invest in through their existing account, the stock market account that has liquidity. You can buy something, you can sell it. You can make all types of decisions as to how it fits in your portfolio. And you get that same statement every month. Mm. I wanted to create a vehicle that those people to get exposure to Bitcoin without having to go through all that hassle. 
And so we created a Bitcoin mining company, not because I was like a super technology guy and understood like the algorithm, but we said, if we create a Bitcoin mining company and that company keeps all the Bitcoin that it mines, because through this process, you know, for the viewers, when you're mining Bitcoin, you're rewarded with more Bitcoin. So he said, this is a little bit of a loophole. We can create a Bitcoin mining company that keeps all of its Bitcoin, take that public, and then that public market investor gets that exposure that they're looking for. And we put together this company called HUD8 back in uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this you know little idea that we had over drinks with some, some friends turned into a, a $400 million uh, pre-money business before we take, took it public. And so we were looking for a CEO. We had brought on guys like Mike Novogratz, um, who used to be you know, one of the, the top partners at Goldman Sachs, Bill Tai, who is from your neck of the woods and one of the most prolific venture capitalists ever. And we assembled this amazing team. We didn't have a CEO. I had structured it. I was one of the co-founders. And I just put up my hand one day and said, guys, I'll go run this company. And everybody was like, great. You're obviously familiar with the players. You helped raise the money. You understand how this stuff works. And so then there was this like huge wall to climb of knowledge because again, all I, I understand numbers and finance. Uh, at the time, I didn't understand cryptography and, and things like that that well. But I built this company. And you know, even today, the company still exists. It trades on the NASDAQ. It's profitable. It's doing quite well. It grew to several billion dollars. Uh, and I'm very proud of what was built there. Mm. So then, so what you did with that, which was interesting, is you you made it more accessible for investors to get access to crypto by saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna actually create a thing that mines it, has it available, and then and then anybody yeah. can invest in a typical trip, you know, whether it's a C corp, S corp, or then making it publicly traded, where it just makes it it just makes it super easy because now their their shares that they get in Fidelity is is going to have the growth rate of of Bitcoin without the risk of actually doing it in some sort of seedious way. Yes, or yeah. Even just the, the the issue of having to create online wallets and things, especially back then, mm -hmm. it was a lot harder to do than it is today. Today, you have ETFs. There's numerous public Bitcoin miners and funds in Canada. There's funds, ETFs. There's a lot of ways for the public market investor to access that area. Can you explain ETFs a little bit? Sure. Exchange traded funds. So there's many ways in which they work, but simply what it is it's a publicly traded vehicle that is backed by the asset behind it so you might have a gold etf and it might be worth 50 million dollars should have 50 million dollars worth of gold that it owns um, there's oil and gas etfs and recently there was a, a bitcoin etf approved in the us the only thing was is that it was a futures etf so it owns some financial derivatives that are linked to be able to buy bitcoin in the future notably People think that the reason that was approved instead of one that actually holds the Bitcoin is because they thought that the one that held Bitcoin would end up driving the price up too much. So um, it was, has not been approved. But in Canada, yeah. it's been approved. In Australia, it's been approved. In a lot of parts of Europe and the Middle East, they've been approved. The U.S. is still the holdout and probably where a good chunk of capital exists that if you ever see a, a real spot Bitcoin ETF, meaning that the, the money raised goes to buy Bitcoin, mm -hmm. I think you'll see the price of Bitcoin really spike. Got it. What do you think is the the, the reasoning behind uh, U.S. being the last holdout? There's a lot of it's a, that's a really good question. So I think when you look at sort of the the different people in government, people like Elizabeth Warren, mm -hmm. a lot of people there's a, a lack of number one. I don't want to be offensive to those people. There's a lack of education in terms of understanding what it is. So a lot of government officials still think that there's this nefarious use for Bitcoin where you know, it's primarily used by drug dealers and, and, and money launderers. In reality, the number one currency in the world used for money laundering and, you know, illegal things is the U.S. dollar. That every, like, that's just known. Yeah. However, there is this perception. The second reason why I think there's a reluctance is um, how do you monitor this from a tax perspective? Mm. There's a huge amount of energy use that goes into, I mean, you mentioned at the outset, you know, the difference you know if people want to know the difference between proof of work and proof of stake but proof of work with the mechanism that bitcoin uses to process transactions consumes a lot of electricity like there's no way around that and so it can be clean electricity or renewable but nonetheless you can't get around that issue it just consumes a lot of energy mm -hmm. 
which is why I pivoted. One of the reasons I pivoted to tokens.com is that while I like Bitcoin, it's very one dimensional. You can't program on it really. It's pretty slow and it consumes a lot of energy. Yeah. It's more yeah. of a buy and hold. Really cool other things being built outside Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it showed the model was possible. It showed that you can do it. And it, yeah. and, and it, and it was an actual, uh, I mean, the, the way that it works, you know, checking over the network and actually having it be able to say, okay, this, this is how I prove that something is um, a valid Bitcoin versus you're talking about proof of work versus proof of stake. Could you, um, I kind of know it. I, I said, I'm, I'm more in the metaverse from the virtual rally side. I know a little bit about crypto, but could you please explain uh, proof of work versus proof of stake so that you can talk about the difference between the two? Yeah. I'll try and keep it at a very high level. Thank proof you. of work is the, the OG way that crypto transactions are validated and mm -hmm. it relies on power and hardware. And so you combine those things to amount processing power to do the cryptology and process transactions. Okay. That was developed in 2008. That's old technology in my opinion, but it works. Proof of stake was developed to improve upon the two major flaws of proof of work. One is that carbon footprint. And so instead of using electricity and hardware, proof of stake uses ownership. And I think the idea is that the owners of that token are providing a vote. You're all incented in a line to make sure that the transactions get processed properly and that the good transactions make it through. So that's the first difference is one is electricity based, one is ownership based. So it's proof of stake is 99.9% .9 less electricity than proof of work. Number two, speed. And, and this is interesting, Dylan, because this will tie into why staking is actually the future of crypto as opposed to crypto mining. Mm. Crypto mining, again, think this was developed 13 years ago, it's old technology, can only process 15 transactions per second, one five. To put that in perspective, Visa and MasterCard can process 20 to 30,000 transactions per second. Wow. Proof of stake can do up to 100,000 transactions per second. So when you're trying to revolutionize financial services and NFTs and the metaverse, in that old system, that crypto mining system, it's like drinking water out of a pinhole because there's too many transactions trying to get through at the same time. But really, it's just a slow trickle because that's all it can handle. Mm. Proof of stake, which is where all new blockchains are built, has that ability to process a lot of transactions so that you can compete with Visa and MasterCard. You can process a ton of NFTs. You can build metaverse. You can essentially you know, recreate all types of technology, consumer technology without that bottleneck. Mm. And when you combine that with the energy reduction, it's quite powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big things that the, the, the impact that we have, because we're, you know, they often say that society is a race between utopia and disaster. Right. And so yeah. as we're constantly building these technologies, we're also kind of destroying the planet along the way. So if we can actually innovate these new technologies that, that coexists with the planet that we live on, then, you know, then we, we, we are moving towards that utopia, not the disaster. What's the downside of staking? What's the downside of that? What are the, what are the drawbacks of, of moving into this area? Is it, is it, is it more risk? Is it, what, what, what are the, the negative elements of it? I wouldn't say that it's more risk. Mm -hmm. um, the risk in all of this is that you're dealing with cryptocurrencies and mm -hmm. they are volatile. So you never want to get into this, you know, you go in knowing that you could lose 50% of what you owned overnight. Mm -hmm. And I remember that happened to me many times when we we're holding the Bitcoin and you go to sleep and it's at $6,000. You're about to go into all these investor meetings and then you, you wake up and it's at 3000, right? So those, those were bad days. Yeah. But the risk to me is inherent. If you're willing to take the chance of this volatility, but what I like about staking better than the Bitcoin risk is Again, Bitcoin, very one dimensional in terms of what you can do with it. It's a storage mm -hmm. of value. Nobody goes to buy a Starbucks coffee and sits for 20 minutes waiting for their Bitcoin payment to go through to, you know, to buy something for, you know, five bucks. Staking allows for things like DeFi and NFTs. So DeFi is decentralized finance, which is financial services performed on the blockchain. 
borrowing, lending, trading, non-fungible tokens, NFTs. That's, you know, a year ago today, we would be like, what does that mean? Today, everybody's heard of NFTs. Mm-hmm. The metaverse, all of these things are functioning on these new platforms built on staking. And so to me, it's more of a macro bet. If I think that all of these areas are going to grow, mm-hmm. although they're going to be volatile in the in, in, you know as they're growing, staking is the place you want to be. Mm. And looking at NFTs, right, and looking at the fact that a lot of those those elements come into you're creating something. And there's there's the people that say, oh, I can just take a photo of that thing, right? And I have and I and I own the thing because there's a lot of uh, comments on that. Yeah. When, when you're looking at creating besides scarcity, right? Inherent scarcity. What are some other ways that NFTs can generate value? So the technology underlying NFTs Mm -hmm. is, is one of the most important technologies out there today. And again, the OG of all of this is Bitcoin because we talked about it earlier. It was the first time you could create digital identity to something. Yeah. This is the next evolution of that because I can create digital identity to anything. So at one extreme, it could be photographs of things that are very rare where I could say, Hey, this belongs to me. If you go into the metaverse, that might be a Gucci bag or a pair of, you know, NFT Adidas shoes that your avatar can wear, but you can trace provenance, which is the the origin, authenticity of a product. So you can see on the blockchain, yep, this is the one, this is a one of kind or one of 10 or one of 50, and you can see that and trace it. So mm-hmm. you're able to create identity through it. Like, where did this come from? Is this real? Can I verify that? In the art world, it's really hard to figure that out because if you have a painting that's a couple hundred years old, how do you know that it's actually by that painter, not a, not a forgery? How do you know the ownership history, what other people have paid? the blockchain or NFT technology allows for that to be perfectly integrated in. Let's take it to the next step. What is the metaverse? The new metaverse mm-hmm. that are created, the decentralized ones are just a collection of NFTs where I can take it, I can build on it, I can rent it out. I can get somebody to pay me to access it. That's pretty powerful technology. Yeah, and that's the, it, with the metaverse, because there's, different worlds that come together that use that terminology. Um, when you think about it from the area of uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, when you think of metaverse, you think of DeFi, you think of NFTs, you think of cryptocurrency. Uh, if you think about it from the world of virtual reality, you think of Ready Player One, you put on a headset, you're inside the virtual world, and you are now completely immersed in this new reality that is a a, a universe that's inside this meta world, or this meta universe. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about those worlds coming together and what you see the, that new reality looking like? Yeah. So the initial metaverses you're going to see are going to be browser based. Mm-hmm. There are ones that are focused on, you know, like Oculus 2 headset mm-hmm. and different things. Those to my mind are still a couple of years away from being you know, mainstream where there's a lot of people using those. Right now, it's going to look a little bit more like uh, Fortnite, Roblox, or Minecraft, which you know are targeted at kids. You go to your computer, you create your little avatar, maybe you have a joystick and you wander around and you're looking at it on a computer. Mm. That to me is the near-term future and it's going to be driven by things like gaming, music, art, concerts, and fashion. Mm. So, so then, okay, because... Uh... Looking at that, uh, the the gaming and the and the and the things. Have you seen anything that are like uniquely done, or any ones that have been unobvious in the space of using the NFTs and and creating the the DeFi and stuff like that? Are there any uh, interesting innovations that you've seen in that space that kind of catch your eye? Yeah, so let's let's walk through a couple. So, play to earn gaming. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of play to earn gaming? Yeah. Okay. So there's a game Axie Infinity which is a new game where you, you build your, your warrior, you can arm them with swords and weapons and shields, and you can go out and play. And if you win and you're successful, you're rewarded with tokens. You can take those tokens and reinvest it into your player, or you can turn around and sell it for money. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is that you're getting these third world countries 
like in the Philippines, where you have all these players who are earning a living, like they're making careers out of playing these games. I heard someone say, you know, that play to earn gaming may lift, you know, third world countries out of poverty as long as they can access a computer and have access to the internet, right? This is a real thing. Yeah. And it's that ownership of that warrior that you can move it around. So that warrior belongs to you. You can, you can continue arming him and battling him, or you can sell it. You can actually breed it. So the company that put that game together is called Sky Maven out of the Philippines. They're now backed by Andreessen Horowitz and I think Mark Cuban and a bunch of other people, like the biggest investors in the world into this company that is basically a, a crypto game. Mm -hmm. Their run rate, this is a new startup company. Take a guess what their run rate revenue was last year. Uh, several million, a couple hundred, I don't know. Approaching a billion dollars in revenue. Okay. <laughs> Bananas, right? So what you're going to see is the entire gaming industry, which is 400 million daily users, huh. is going to migrate from playing sports in the way you think about it. Like if you think about like Madden football or whatever, and you got, you have players where you're going to actually migrate to crypto, where you're going to own your player, you're going to mm -hmm. be able to improve upon them and play other people or other AI and win tokens that you can use to build up your team or cash out by selling your players or cash out into tokens and turn it into like hard cash. Mm. That's going to be huge. So that's one area. Yeah. So just the area of what well, this is, is a new opportunity, right? That that new opportunity simply put is you can play games and make money playing games and making money, right? And that is, yeah. if you if you can do that and you can just go through it and and turn it into a, a bit of a grind, I mean, that- But, but it's more than that, Dylan, because it's mm -hmm. more than just playing the game and, and winning. It's not, it's more than betting. Mm -hmm. You actually own the player. You become part of the game. You can actually buy land in these games. Mm -hmm. You own the weapons. It's not, and because they're stored on the blockchain, you know, someone told me this last week and they said Roblox, and things like Minecraft and even Facebook or Instagram are like digital prisons because you go in, you provide the content, they charge money to other people to access you that you never receive. And at the end of the day, you don't own, once you put your picture up or you own something there, you don't own it. They can just shut down and you've lost that. Yeah. The reason these games are different is all of a sudden the player becomes part of the content from mm -hmm. one of the owners has an avatar with value that can be resold that can't be taken away from you because it sits on the blockchain. So then things like the, you know, you're talking about playing Axie Infinity and yeah. you're, you're creating that. So if let's just say Axie Infinity goes away though, if Axie Infinity shuts down, do they not have, cause you're talking about being on the blockchain, right? Do, are they able so, to then pull that out or what is it? How does that, how does that work? If, it, if they own it, you can't shut it down anymore. It's an autonomous playing, game mm -hmm. where the people that put it together collect a fee or a royalty every time there's transactions so that's mm -hmm. how they make their money mm -hmm. and so the game is now really owned by the players so yeah everybody could be like i don't want this but there's this self-fulfilling motivation that's a bit circular in that you're going to keep playing to continue to build the value of the game that you're in and that you own but nonetheless you can still convert your player you can sell it for cryptocurrencies that can then be converted into real dollars. Mm. So what you're talking about was like smart contracts. So there's a smart contract yep. or something in place that then says, okay, every time this deal happens, you can set the contract however you want go, um, I'm the creator of the contract. So every time you exchange this NFT or this crypto, then I collect a percentage of that onwards. Can you, can you say a little bit about those and how they work? Yeah. Smart contracts are really just ways. And this is something that you can't do on Bitcoin. Again, it's good, but one dimensional on these smart contracts, primarily built on Ethereum, you can program, hmm. I guess you can program uh, decisions to be made based on certain outcomes. And so if this happens, I receive a reward for it. If this doesn't happen, I don't, it goes somewhere else. It's like you can, you make the rules up for it to function. And when you integrate that into a video game with digital ownership, you get into things like play to earn gaming, the metaverse, and NFTs. Mm. So then the, the, the real value is this ability to not only 
create this disconnected currency model that's not attached to any government or any other agency and right. then you have just this this intimate relationship between hey this is this is an autonomous system that's running and you can kind of set up you can go into the system play the game and then you get invested in the game which then says okay but you know that there's no the safety comes from the fact that the, the these things are on autopilot in terms of the smart contracts so that you know they right. run you know if you if you earn points or earn rewards, then you can take it, you can sell it. And there's nothing that's going to come between you and the the rules of the game. That's going to stop you. The, um, the world of Warcraft police aren't, police aren't going to come in and, and take all your money more or less. They, they can't turn off the, the, turn off the, the button and then all your stuff disappears. Got it. Got it. Got it. So that's play to earn gaming. What is the other, the other big sectors that you're, you're mentioning? So the metaverse yeah. is huge and that's very related to play to earn gaming, mm -hmm. but you know, we made a lot of news last year when we bought this massive estate in the fashion district of Decentraland, which is one of the more popular metaverses out there. And people thought we were bananas. They're like, you just spent several million dollars buying digital land. That's yeah. crazy. Um, however, I think today they're starting to get it. I'm talking to investors now who are like, I didn't understand what you were talking about before, but they're like, now I get it. Um, yeah. We're earning money off that land. We're holding a massive fashion show on that land on March 24th to 27th. It's going to be a fashion week. It's being put on by Decentraland on our property. So we're being compensated like a real landlord uh -huh. for allowing them to use our, our properties, our parcels as a, it's almost a convention center. And this thing's going to be massive. You'll start hearing about the names involved in February, but this is going to be like catwalks and runways with like real supermodels. This is going to be like top luxury brands. This is going to be after parties with DJs and musicians. It's going to be quite wild. <laughs> so then, uh, so let's play this out. Okay. So you have a, a, a fashion district inside Decentraland and then you are hosting an event, uh, March 24th to March 27th inside there. You're going to have major brands. You're going to have fashion, fashionistas come in and you're going to be hosting the whole event. And this is going to be primarily done what we talked about, which was going to be uh, desktop based for example, yeah. that people are going to come in, they'll be able to look at the fashion. So the fashion won't be actual physical products or physical items. They will be uh, NFTs that have been created by uh, fashion companies or studios or whoever might be inside of there where they can take a look at it. And I'm assuming they could bid on it. Or how does that, how does, how, who, how do they win inside of there? Right. So it is, it is going to be free to, to, to access. So regardless mm -hmm. of wherever you're in the world, wherever you're geographically located, doesn't matter. You can mm -hmm. go there for free off your browser, no hardware required. Okay. I had somebody go in there today. It took them less than a minute to create an avatar and start wandering around. The way that it's going to work is that the avatar, the model is going to be walking down the runway, wearing a piece of clothing. Okay. This is all in this video game like environment. You'll mm -hmm. be able to take your mouse, click on it, and it'll give you an option to buy that piece of clothing for your avatar or go to the company's website and actually buy the real item. How wild is that? <laughs> That's awesome. So then they're basically hooking new customers in this area where you can either make money off of the initial sale right there or they like that style and that feel and then they can click it and go right up out the gate to that. That's Absolutely. really interesting. So here, I mean, I always tell people to provide some examples. Mm -hmm. I have a nine-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. And she's now starting to ask me questions like, what's Prada? What's the Gap? What's Gucci? <laughs> like she's trying, you know, we take, we yeah. take for granted how these brands fit in the world, what they mean. Is it high end? Is it luxury? Is it comfort? My nine-year-old has no idea. My nine-year-old doesn't watch TV, doesn't live near Rodeo Drive, doesn't subscribe to Vogue. The place she gathers inf information for who is who is from social media and the metaverse is really another form of social media, which is why Mark Zuckerberg is doing the largest rebrand in history from Facebook to meta to create himself a metaverse. So if you are a brand and you want longevity, you want to be introduced and known by the new demographic, the new generation, the best place for you to do that is in somewhere like the metaverse where you can be like, hi, here's my product. Here's my brand. This is what it looks like. You can own a piece of it or you can come to our website in order to physical good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, what's your take on the whole uh, rebrand with Mark Zuckerberg, metaverse, things like that? Like, what are you? Yeah. What's your yeah. take on that? Yeah. 
So I, I think they have a, a brilliant business model in terms of, and I think that's in a sense what we're going to be doing is collecting digital ad revenue at tokens.com, my company, but I don't know anybody that uses Facebook, the social media, not the company. Okay. Mm -hmm. I use Instagram, which they own and, and WhatsApp, which they also own, but Facebook as a social media platform isn't really used anymore. Mm -hmm. People are using other things. It's evolving. And so this rebrand was a necessary form of survival for them to say, we can look into the future and see where things are going. Why don't we just go there before this platform just dies on its own? Like, do you use Facebook? Um, I use it a little bit um, just because I'm a, I am build virtual reality applications. And so right. I use their systems in order to, for it to operate. And the only way that I can share some of my applications is through Facebook because that's the way their system functions. So mostly out of a necessity for that kind of stuff, right. but not but not like where I, I go typically. Uh, my my uh, my drug of choice in the social media world is TikTok. TikTok, okay, <laughs> just like my nine year old daughter. Yeah, we got so much in common. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I use Instagram, but you know, the, yeah. but there's Snapchat. There's lots of them, and in the future, you're going to see lots of different metaverses mm. that cater to different people. It's yeah. not a, a, a winner takes all. It's just like there's many video games, social media platforms. There's going to be several of these out there. I'll tell you one that I think this is my prediction that no mm. one's talking about Amazon in the metaverse yet. Uh -huh. However, how cool would it be if Amazon or somebody like an Amazon opened up a mall where instead of sort of, you know, you go to Amazon, let's say you want to buy a computer display or running shoes, you'll type in, you know, running shoes, monitor or whatever, and then a bunch of things pop up. Mm. What if you could go there and it would be similar to having the, you know, what would happen if you were in a store like a Best Buy where you could actually take your avatar, walk around and say, oh, here's a screen. This is kind of what it looks like relative in size to this one. You can sort of look at it from different angles. You can tick it and it'll give you like the weight information, the, you know, whatever other things you need to know, the reviews. That would be a much better way to shop for things than trying to like, what did I look at before, compare different products and look at everything in sort of a two-dimensional format. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things that would be amazing for also you, their whole thing is about low cost, low friction, right? And that's that's a big thing. So the, the question is, is is the experience itself lowering the friction and making it easier and better? Now, trying on shoes or seeing certain things, I could, I could see a lot of sense. But, you know, I think that the hunting of things take a long time. So maybe if you had some if, you, if there's a way that you can make it fun and engaging, I think could have a lot of a lot of value to the system. Like you could do it with a group of people. You and your your uh, yeah. uh, the girls can go shop together. You know, make it a social experience. You know, I could I could see those types of things. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, I'm sure they're going to come out with something. Um, the, you know, the question is, um, you, you know, it's it's hard because what we're trying to do is we're trying to take things that worked in the past and bring it to the forefront, right? We never right. we never could have predicted Uber, right? We just knew that there was a, a store and they they created that solution. So I I imagine it's going to be it's going to be something that we can't quite predict that won't be the same model right there'll be right. there'll be a new a new step right and it'll, it'll disrupt whatever is there yeah. now do with well talk to me about this when you're talking about like you're talking about tokens and you're talking about we have this the same type of business model in terms of ad revenue can you talk about so with tokens can you talk to me a bit about the business model and the and how you're disrupting yeah so i think i mentioned i left hut eight because yeah. I wanted to find a new product for public market investors yeah. that were doing all of these cool things like NFTs in the metaverse. So I created uh, tokens.com to be a public vehicle that people can invest in to get exposure there. Um, in the metaverse, what we're doing is we have something called Tokens Tower, which we're building right now in the Crypto Valley of Decentraland. And then we're gonna copy and paste that into Sandbox and Somnium Space and a bunch of other metaverses where we own land. And at first it was supposed to be this prototype for other companies to say, oh, that's a really cool building. Cause I was like, make it, you know, have the fountains from the Bellagio there. And I want like, I want this to look a little bit like a club in Ibiza and blah, blah. But I wanted it to be a prototype that you could copy and paste into different places. What ended up happening is I started getting calls from people like lawyers, investment banks, podcasters mm -hmm. saying, hey, could we put up an ad inside your tower, like in the lobby somewhere. So when people are walking around, they can see it. And so, you know, Dylan, you could come to us and mm -hmm. say, I would like to have something for my podcast there. And it's very reasonably priced, mm -hmm. but we're going to collect recurring revenue 
from people for putting up a, essentially a digital billboard on our property so that when people are wandering around, they'll see it and be like, ah, oh, this is cool. Let me click on that and see what it's about. That's oh, one area. Yeah. Are you able to track like feet move, foot, foot track, digital foot traffic um, through your through your lobby and stuff where you can show in depth? Yes. Yeah. We're, yeah. Um, we're working on all that. But here's the other thing. Yeah. We're about to sign a deal with one of the top running shoe companies in North America mm -hmm. who's going to be renting from us a curated space that they're actually going to build a replica of their store. So they're going to be paying us rent plus a small portion of their sales for us to rent that out. So in that sense, we start looking like, you know, Simon properties or another large company where again, recurring revenues and acting like a landlord. So on the digital ad side, that's yeah. exactly what Facebook and Google do, right? You have recurring revenues from people that are like, Hey, we will pay you to access your traffic. And on the other side, they're like, we just want to rent out your, your digital land so that when the traffic walks by, they'll have a place to wander into our store and, and be able to shop. That's super cool. And what's interesting about that is because you're on, say, Decentraland, and then you're able to say you build that model out, and then you're able to copy and paste that model across all of the other metaverses, the, the yeah. new social media, right? And then you basically are kind of laying lands where I, I mean, I can see people like, if you look at like, say, Starbucks or In-N-Out, Right. Yeah. They do things where they look at, at the foot traffic. They look at the cross lights. They look at the fact how close is the freeway. They look at all these things and then they start to cluster. Right. If you if you know anything about um, uh, in and out and Chick-fil-A, they're always next to each other. They always pair right. each other next to each other. They start to fall into this. So I could see almost like with this model of, of behavior, because you're going to start to have these kind of um, people that are scouting out locations and then they start to cluster up like food truck gatherings or these other ones. Have you right. seen that? Have you seen that type of behavior happen inside the metaverse? So we're making history as we do this. There's no yeah. precedent, but I can tell you that the goal for our land in the fashion district is to create a, something equivalent to fifth Avenue or Rodeo drive, where you'll be able to go there with your avatar and everywhere you look around, you'll see various brands with virtual stores and you'll be able to wander in be like, oh, that's really cool, but I want to see what the guy next door offers before making my decision. Mm. With so look at this, so you're, you're talking about this, um, and I want to make sure you're, you're complete with it. That's, those are the primary ways that uh, tokens is is monetizing. Is that well, we're also staking. So yeah. uh, within the staking side, we own a whole bunch of things like Ethereum, Solana, Polkadot. We even own some Shiba Inu <laughs> and we stake it. And so we're getting paid to help process the transactions on that network. And so organically, we're always earning more tokens. Mm -hmm. And we've also just created a new area uh, called Hulk Labs. Um, and Hulk Labs is going to be focused on play to earn gaming, where we are going to be working with people to buy and create these gaming avatars to play them and earn revenue off that. And so I, I look at our sort of three verticals, which is, you know, staking, which is really the backbone of web three and new crypto programming, play to earn gaming and the metaverse. These are really the high growth areas, the really exciting things happening with crypto technology. I'd say not just this year, but I, you know, I can't, I just see the migration of gaming. I see the growth of NFTs and financial services and the metaverse. We're at the beginning of what this is going to be a, a massive transition from the way people shop, do social media game into these self-contained virtual economies. I mean, it's going to be wild to watch this evolve. Yeah. And when you say, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. You said Hulk, like, like the incredible Hulk. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah. So Hulk, Hulk labs for play to earn gaming. Yes. Yeah. So I came upon this sort of by accident. So my, the original company that I had was called HUD eight and mm -hmm. HUD eight was named after the place in Bletchley park in England, where, um, Alan Turing created really what was the first computer that helped end the second world war by decoding the, the German enigma machine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole movie on that. And that was always a bit of a mystery and people would ask, how did that, how did you guys come up with that name? Tokens.com, we really went there because we own the domain name, which was pretty cool to, to have one of the top domain names in crypto. But when we were looking for the ticker symbol in the US uh, as a public company, it needed to end in an F because we're Canadian built for foreign. 
And so I called up, I called up the exchange place and I was like, what five letter words are there that are available? And they're like, well, a thief is available. I was like, nah, we don't want that one. Yeah. So I did a Google and Smurf came up and I said, oh, nobody will ever forget the ticker symbol Smurf. So our ticker in the U S is Smurf. And people love it or hate it, but you'll never forget it. And so I started thinking about other stuff as we're creating these new verticals. And I was like, Hulk. So the the, the symbol is like these green lightning bolts coming down to form an H that we created. And I'm like, no one's going to forget that. These are the good names that are easy, will resonate with people. And they'll connect what we're doing there with the name. Yeah, I mean, it clearly stands out. Smurf, I'm not, I'm probably not going to forget that. That's pretty much stuck in my head now. And when you said Hulk Labs, I did. I did picture it. It, it, it stands. It sounds strong. It sounds like there's right. there's there, there's shit being broken I, over there. I saw yeah. you looking at me and you're like, did he say Hulk? I'm not quite <laughs> sure what he said. <laughs> I think I'll just clarify that. I want to know. I think it's great. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, names are incredibly powerful. And I just I've noticed from running companies and branding and rebranding and doing those those types of things. Um, I want to dive into that a little bit. So you talk about the play to earn section of that. So they are creating avatars or you guys are creating a whole new gaming can you talk to me a little bit about hulk labs yeah so we're not creating games okay we're going to leverage the system that's out there and as i said Mm. these games can pay you when you're successful and so what's been created out there is what's called gaming guilds and i think Mm. i mentioned to you people say you know this is going to lift third third world countries out of poverty because these gaming guilds are basically people that go on and play the game. So let's just say to effectively play Axie Infinity, and these are accurate figures, might cost you between $1,000 and $2,000 to create the right game person to play and be successful. Yeah. You take that, you, you invest your money into this pile where you create all of these gaming units that are, you know, to play, and then you hire people from various countries to play the game for you. And then you share the rewards. The vehicle or the avatar, or the warrior that you've created belongs to you for putting up the money, but you split the money with the people who've been playing the game for you all day. And you know, supposedly in the Philippines, this has been like an amazing thing where people are making money and like it's generating income for that economy. So yeah. that is what type of thing we'll be engaging in at, at Hulk Labs, which is how do we monetize from existing popular games? I never want to be the guy that's trying to pretend like, let's play this game. This one's better than that one. I would rather be the person that says, look at everybody playing this game. Let's find a way to monetize from that. Yeah. It's it, it's like with gambling, you want to go to like a hot table, right? You don't want to try to make right. it. What's, what's, a, what's a hot spot that I can jump into and then have them go and do it. And, and I mean, essentially it's, it also sounds like straight up business. I mean, you can make a, a hot dog stand and you get a profit from the hot dog stands and you have someone else sell your hot dogs for you or some, you know, ingenious kid that convinces someone else to sling newspapers for him and split the profit. You know, it's a, it's the same model, just redone in a new, in a new way, which is pretty cool. And then, and again, it's with playing games. So then it's f- forming guilds and forming teams and then going inside there and say, okay, I'm going to organize right. it. I'm going to imagine it. I'm going to get these teams of people together. You guys love these types of things. All right. I'm going to set it up and get it all going. I'm going to say, maybe purchase that main avatar, get those things up and running. Cause you guys can't afford it. And then I'm just going to get a percentage for you guys to run the system. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's very cool. I think you're going to hear a lot about play to earn gaming this year. It's a new, I mean, being able to empower people to not have to have the typical nine to five, there's this whole great, uh, the great resignation going on right now. There's people quitting all over the place. People want to be able to find their own way to do it. And if you can find a way to right. earn a living from it, from a, from a distance, I think that's, that's great. Um, you know, what are some things that you, that you might pop might possibly believe that is counterintuitive, um, to the populations? What do you think right now is something that is that something that you might believe that or that something that you that you see that that is non-obvious so like you want me to get into my aliens theory or um no but if you want to go down this path i've had alien people on this podcast we can dive into that if you want to go down that path um, no i I think that would i think that would be too big of a pivot with uh the message i would have for people that yeah the use of this digital identity technology which is come to the forefront through NFTs. And many, I think the majority of people still think this is a fad, this is strange, like you're just, like you said before, like I can just take a picture of something. Mm. 
I think people are underestimating the value of that, where you can in the future see people having their own digital identity that might carry some of your health information, your ability to vote. I remember when I went to go vote at our last election, you know, poor little grandmother sitting there with a ruler and a pen with her glasses on looking for my name. And then she took the ruler and like crossed out my name, pen and paper. And I'm like, man, this is like 2021. We got to have a better system for tabulating votes. I got some kind of a, on your phone, I can say, you know, tap, tap, go in and do it. Digital identity, the ability to attach a signature to something that lives on the internet is going to be massively important in ways that we may not even realize yet. Just like when the internet first came in and people thought that was a fad or social media was a fad. The things you're seeing here today via the metaverse and gaming that a lot of people might be scratching their heads and think I'm crazy are going to subtly work their way into your common life. And in a few years, you'll be like, what was I doing before I had these goggles on to, you know, talk to people and, and play these games? Yeah, yeah, that, that, <clears throat> that makes sense. I mean, if you look at it right now with your cell phone, I mean, I am, if you ask a kid, hey, um, I'm either going to cut off your right hand or you can never use a cell phone again. A lot of them would choose to lose that hand. A lot yes. of them like, oh, no cell phone ever? Uh, I don't know. I don't really need my hand. I need my cell phone, which is crazy because right. your identity is attached to it. And that's, and it's, we're, and we're, we're getting there. I get it. And listen, okay. I'm, I'm 51, but yeah. I remember times before cell phones. Yeah. I remember when Blackberry, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the black, the original Blackberries. Yeah. And when that stock came out, I remember, you know, people I work with, like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like who wants to do these things or get email? It's a pager. Look at how that has evolved. Like we, you know, it's amazing how things continue to change so subtly that you don't notice them until you look back a decade. Yeah. I was sad to lose the buttons, the Blackberry buttons where you could type with, you yeah. could feel the buttons, the tactile sensation. And when I got right. my, when I first got my first iPhone, I'm like, this is dumb. I don't want to type with like, I want to be able to feel the buttons, but then you get, you slowly get accustomed and you adjust to it and you get, it, but then you realize the, the screen was so small when you're trying to flip through things. It's uh, too little. Now, now that I'm older and I need glasses, I go to, you know, when I'm buying my phone, I'm like, what's the biggest phone you have in the store, please. <laughs> yeah. right? I want something that's a tablet that fits in my pocket. Uh, that's actually, that, both those things are true. It needs to be as, as big as possible, but fits in my pocket. That that's is right. That, that is kind of the standard thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, what do you think, like as a as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as all the things that you've done, what do you believe is like your personal superpower? Um, I really like being a dad. I've got two kids and I think I have a good power of like, you know, as you go through changes, I always I, I have lists that I go through and I remind myself of things. And I'm always like, be a good dad, be a good husband. Every day is, is a chance to improve yourself, your health or how you, you take care of uh, various things. But I think just trying to sort of stay level-headed and look at things objectively, I'm not a great technical guy. Like I cannot, you know, explain cryptology to you the way a, an engineer could, but I come at everything with a curiosity of like, what does this mean? How can this be used? I always love doing things involving my kids and somehow I take them to Decentraland. I took them, you know, they're eight and nine. I took them to a stag party there last week. Like, I think that sense of sort of curiosity that I learned from being with my kids yeah. carries well into me into adulthood. That's awesome. There's a lot to learn from the kids. I sometimes, I sometimes study my niece and nephew, like Jane Goodall studies monkeys, right? right. I'm like, like, what are you kids into? What are the games you're playing? Can you right. show me what you, what is this wheeze thing? Can you show me this? What do you, what's going on? Like, there's always like, it's very interesting because they have these worlds that they're growing up into them and their, their ability to kind of like, consume and run with things i remember saw my niece when she was really young she was trying to use a uh, piece of paper like an ipad and wonder why it wouldn't swipe you know she's like this isn't working you know right. and you're like oh man that's uh whoo uh, they, they consume information in different ways than we consume it like i said they're not watching tv no. or reading magazines or newspapers it's a different form of learning yeah yeah. So then, so really it's for you, it's, it's that staying curious, being young, willing to kind of, you know, like connect with them. And, and, uh, what I like about that too, is like, you know, be a better dad, you know, you know, be a better person kind of thing. Is that like, do you have certain like, like truths that you live by? Are there like certain, like, if you had a couple of like that, these are my rules and these are my beliefs or these are my truths. What are the, what are those for you? You know, things that have served me well through my yeah. life that I try and teach my kids is delayed gratification. 
Um, and so that is when you're sort of putting, you know, when my friends were, you know, partying through university, I was like, ah, I should be fresh. I want to do well on that test. I actually do the, the, the trick with my kids. I'll put like a marshmallow in front of them and <laughs> say like, if you can avoid eating this for an hour, I'll reward you with another marshmallow. And they're like, but I want to eat it now. I'm like, no, you must wait if you want it. Um, so delayed gratification, I think is a really important message, but I also think kindness. I've done a lot of investigating to things like, you know, psilocybin mushrooms, which really, you know, can open up your mind and help you be creative and, and empathic to people being kind and open-minded. I think those are all things that I strive to do. And I think help me to be a good dad, a good husband, and also to run a business where you're interacting with people and trying to get people excited as well and, and get excited about the things you're doing, just bringing a level of honesty to everything. That's wonderful, man. I absolutely totally resonate with that. Um, uh, the psilocybin too, uh, but the overall, the delay, if you can teach delay gratification, kindness and openness, man, that's a, a powerful, you know, trifecta and inspiring people to be excited. Woo. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Those are the things you're trying. You're not always successful. So. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's an ever evolving thing with, with, um, yeah. with what you're doing with tokens and everything else that you're doing here, what's your Holy grail? What, what do you hope to achieve by, by putting this, these, uh, this company together? Yeah, you know, I really believe that I'm helping to democratize access to these things that are happening in the past, again, back to my life as a banker, yeah, you had to be really wealthy to get into these private equity or venture capital funds. Like you had to, you know, it's a minimum of a $250,000 investment. And you're tying up your money for seven years. That's beyond most people's reach. And then you have to know the right people. Like I know who Andreessen Horowitz is and all their funds. I would have no clue how to ever invest in one of those. It's a little bit esoteric to me. So I just wanted to create things that were easy for people like me to access. Like when I had a hard time buying Bitcoin, I was like, there's gotta be an easier way. Let's create a public company that does it. When I was getting into things like the metaverse and staking and all the, these other cool things are going on, I was like, this is interesting and hard. I don't wanna keep doing this this way, but we can package it up as a public company and provide exposure to other people. So they have an easy way to get to it too. So I'm, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm trying to democratize the ability for people to access is you can invest $5 into my stock or you can invest a million dollars into my stock. Everybody gets the equal access. Yeah. That's awesome. If that's the Holy grail, man, um, what's your dragon? What's the thing that's seemingly so difficult to overcome? You don't know if you can do it. So, you know, you're, I think everyone, I mean, this is not just entrepreneurs. Everyone's flogged by insecurities, right? Um, Everybody is constantly battling their demons from childhood, the relationship with their parents. Uh, you know, I was I was born in Chile, South America, and my family immigrated to Canada when I was seven. And there's a whole bunch of like trauma there associated with like picking up and leaving and not yeah. speaking the language and landing in a new country. But, you know, these are the challenges I think that everybody faces. Everyone's got trauma, whether it's from childhood, high school, university, things that you're, you're battling and trying to not let that suck you into that, you know, uh, cycle of sort of, I, I think, self-doubt mm -hmm. or sometimes shame. And yeah. listen, we all trip up. Everybody has those moments where you're like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that or I made, I had the bad call there or I hurt somebody that I loved. And so I think for everyone, the challenge is, is you know, you're trying to wake up to be a better person. You're trying to park those parts of you in a place where they can't be damaging to the things you're doing. Mm. And I think that's the biggest challenge for, for me. You know, I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and I'm like, I better have a good day. And I, I better do something here because I can't let all these people down. Uh, I, you know, I got to continue working. I got to continue striving here and not yielding to, you know, a lack of confidence because I, I want, in a sense, for people to be successful here. I want people to get a, have a good experience with respect to getting involved with me via the public company or my employees or my family. Yeah, no, it's powerful, man. I mean, that uh, the balance of like wanting to do the best you can and be the be best and like don't know if you're enough and but you want to, you're, you're doing it for the people around you. I mean, that's very motivating. It's just, it's it's like yeah. just, an, it's just enough to get you going without drowning you, you know? It's like, it, you want that balance. Yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 trust me, there there's days I think in everyone's life, regardless of how successful or unsuccessful you are, where you are like curled up in fetal position in your bed with the covers over you and you feel like crying, right? Like that's part of life. Yeah. Some people that's their Tuesday, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a rough business for me. I feel bad, bro, but it's, it's it, it, we're all there, man. But everyone everyone sees everyone's going. Oh, I'm doing great. Everything's great, but they don't see that that part of their world. Right. So, and it's wonderful. Uh, Andrew, this is an absolute pleasure. I know you have a hard stop. You have some other means coming on. I'd like to say, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how they can get a hold of you? Uh, no, you know, I think it's just all the things we've been talking about. If if you're yeah. looking to get exposure to this part of the market, um, our stock definitely has volatility but i think if you take a macro view a setback to say these are all industries that are growing um you know you should consider looking at our stock tokens.com and we've got a ton of great information there we've had some good media and press from cnn wall street journal cnbc uh there's videos and informational uh, things on our website you can check out beautiful um and if anybody wants to reach out to you or get a hold of you is there any way for them to reach out to you on social media or any other places like that Yep. I am on Twitter, Andrew Kegel, K-I-G-U-E-L. You can go to our website and there's a contact email there as well. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Have a blessed and beautiful day, my friend, and I'll see you on the other Thank side. You. Take care Thanks, now. Bro. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.